Good morning once again. If you would, open up your Bibles or you can just look right in your bulletin. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 16 this morning. Today we hit a turning point in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In the first three chapters, he's been trying to open their eyes to this enormity of God's glory that he's poured into them as, as the people of God. And they, he's shown, that, shown them that in love, God, that God has predestined them for, for adoption into God's family and that in Christ they have received forgiveness of sins and, and cleansing and, and that God has united all people together, Jew and Gentile alike, into, into one body, one family. And now he turns from belief to behavior. He turns from doctrine to duty. Uh, He turns from our spiritual wealth to our spiritual walk. That's going to be the focus in the remaining three chapters. And he begins by urging us to walk in a worthy manner. We're going to spend the next three chapters looking at this. Today we're going to see that he focuses on, um, on our worthy walk being one of unity and maturity. All right. Ephesians 4 verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the the one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, we must know his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us this word. We thank you that um, your word gives life to us. We need your spirit to enrich these words to our hearts that we may understand and comprehend. And even more than that, that we may respond with joy and delight for what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. That we would be one body, unified by one spirit. Help us understand this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Last month, the Westminster Kennel Club hosted its 138th dog show. And, and though the best in show went to a wire fox terrier named Sky, everyone else's attention seemed to be on uh, something that entirely new that had taken place for the very first time at the Westminster Dog Show. You guys know what happened for the very first time at the Westminster Dog Show? For the very first time at the Westminster Dog Show, they allowed mutts to participate. Or, I'm sorry, all American dogs. That's what they chose to call them. They're not mutts. They're all American dogs. So when you see someone on the beach and you're not quite sure what it is, it's, it's an all American dog. Alfie was one such dog. No one quite knows the lineage of this pooch. He didn't make it to the dog show by way of a typical route of a high-priced kennel to Westminster Dog Show. No, his owner, Irene, spotted him at a mall pet store marked down to $99 on sale. She hadn't planned on buying a dog that day, but she felt for the curly-haired black-and-white puppy. So she brought him home to her Tom's River, New Jersey home. became quite... The dog, able to do all these agility tests and competed. And now we see he's at the Westminster Dog Show. Alfie ran hard. He did well, but he failed to qualify for the main event. But in the end, it's quite a story. Here we have a a dog from a pet store makes it to the Westminster Dog Show. In this letter to this church in Ephesus, if you've been with us all these weeks, you realize he's really hammering home this one big idea. He's, he's saying that the church is one body. Um, it's not to be divided between purebreds and mutts, or as Paul says, between Jew and, and Gentile. Today we would say between the, the wealthy and the poor, between the, the black and the white, between the educated and the uneducated. We, we are all one in Christ Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that that you have received a calling of infinite worth. You have been brought into God's worldwide family of God. And so now Paul says, I urge you in light of this calling to walk in a worthy manner, to live your life in such a way that reflects this uh, glorious calling into which you have been called. That's what Paul is getting at here. Verse 1 has been called the topic sentence for the entire rest of the, this letter. It says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling you've received. He's going to use this word walk a number of other times in the, and we'll come to them in the weeks ahead. But for today, and to keep in line with this dog show analogy, uh, he is, Paul is telling us, he, he's saying, you're no longer astray by the side of the road or, or you're, you're no longer... Um, you know, a a pooch bought at a pet store at the mall, all right? You've been brought into this glorious inheritance. Uh, You've been brought into God's family. You've come under special care. And so don't live like a stray anymore. 
our tendency as Christians is to do what? It's to go it alone or, or to go with some subset of the church, some group that we tend to get along with, either theologically or, or maybe with our social class that we've come out with, or people who don't rub us too wrong, or, or people who don't challenge us too much in our Christian walk. And so what we tend to lack is, is a commitment to gospel unity, to this um, many people, one body reality that we see here. And the sad reality is, is that we never really fully mature. We don't become the people God is calling us to be as individuals, and we lack maturity in the body of Christ. That's the point Paul is trying to get across here. But the gospel is meant to change all of this. The gospel says you have a calling. You're not the same. You're different. You're new. You're a new creation. You've been brought into the body of Christ. That's your calling. That's what we're going to look at here this morning. We're supposed to walk in the manner worthy of this calling. We're going to divide our time into two parts. If you look at the text, verses 1 through 6 are part 1, and verses 7 through 16 is part 2. Part 1 focuses on unity. Part 2 focuses on maturity. So the first point I want us to see is this. Because we are one body that shares one hope, we are to be eager to promote unity. We see in this passage it's all about unity. Um, first, I want us to see our basis for unity. We're kind of going to take things out of order. We're going to look at verses 4, 5, 6, and then look at verses 2 and 3. But we see our basis for unity in verses 4, 5, and 6. The word one appears seven times in these three verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, do you think Paul is trying to make a point here? Something about oneness, maybe, and unity? He's driving it home. He's repeating the words. He says there is one body and one spirit. Notice Paul didn't say, you are to become one body. No, we already are one body. This is the reality of who we are. We are one body. And we have one spirit, just as a human body has a spirit, so to the body of Christ. And the spirit that dwells in the body of Christ is none other than the third person of the, of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit dwells in us, gives life to us. He says, you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Paul is reminding them of this cosmic work that we've been studying these, these last number of weeks where God has this gracious plan of, of bringing um, all things under Christ's authority, under his rule, under his reign, that, that Jesus is, has come to renew and to restore this world, that his kingdom has come and it's going to come again in its, in its, more in its fullness when, when he returns. And, and, and this is the hope that we have as Christians. And scripture continually talks about this hope that, that we have. And, and so this hope, it's one hope. It's, we, it's the same hope. It's your hope. It's your hope. It's your hope. It's your hope. This is your hope that we share as Christians. It's one hope that unites us. Verse 5, Paul says that we share one Lord, one faith, one baptism. There's only one Lord and Savior. There's only one Savior for all of humanity. And there is one faith that brings the reality of the Savior into our lives. And therefore, there's only one baptism. That is, there's only one means of baptism is a sign of membership into, into God's body. <clears throat> Lastly, in verse 6, he says, One God and Father 
of all. You notice the whole Trinity's in this, right? We've got the Holy Spirit, we've got the Lord, which is the Son, Jesus, and now we see God the Father in this picture. It says that he's over all, through all, and in all. What we see here is, is God is over all. He's, he's transcendent. He's above all things. He is outside of time and space. He's the creator of all things, and yet amazingly, he is in all and through all. Now, this isn't pantheism. This isn't God is in the trees and in the pretty brooks flowing down the mountainside. I mean, that's not what it's getting at. God is with us. God is with his people. He's, he's not a distant God. He's, he's creator over all. He's supreme, and yet he's intimate with his people. We share that same father. You share the father. You share that father. We all share this same father. So the point that Paul is making here is that though there is great diversity, there is unity. There is oneness in the body. There is one body. He wants us to, 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 to know that this is how it is in heaven, as the, as the God is one. And yet God is, has three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And as God is in perfect unity and delight and, and joy, so too what is in heaven is to, is to be on earth, especially in the body of Christ. We are one. We are called to a oneness. This is who we are. And and the point is, the reason why I I have this first as opposed to, uh, you know, verses two and three is is until we comprehend who we are, we're not going to fight for it. Right. (laughs) We're not even going to care about using the means of being one with each other. But he does show us the means for being one. We see that in verses two and three. How are we to be one body. I I see three things here. Maybe you see more. I see three. All right. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. First, with all humility and gentleness. In the Greco-Roman world in which Paul wrote, humility was looked down upon and was frowned upon. And kind of so too today too, right? We kind of like someone who's humble, but in reality, when people say, oh, Larry is a humble man, we, we, most often we think, oh, that's, that's somebody that I can step all over and take his stuff, right? <laughs> you know, we've been taught from a very young age to look out for number one. The way of Christ, though, the way of, of Christians in community is the, is the way of humility and, and gentleness. Paul describes humility in Philippians chapter 2, where he says uh, humility means that you are to consider others above yourself. Uh, it, it causes you to look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. C.S. Lewis said humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Gentleness is the, it's the Greek word has the same root a word as the word Jesus used when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This gentleness, this meekness, it's not weakness. It's power under control. It takes a strong person under control to be gentle. Strong people out of the control They rage, they get angry, they yell, they scream, they gossip, they do all kinds of things. Strength under control is gentleness. And then he says, the second means is with patience. One commentator makes these points about patience. He says, patience is the ability to make allowances for others' shortcomings. And that this tolerance 
for others' exasperating behavior. That's his words, not mine. This tolerance for others' exasperating behavior is a fruit of the Spirit. It can only be done in the power of the Spirit, this type of patience that Paul is talking about here. He further describes patience as, in, as bearing with one another in love. Patience is bearing uh, with another in love. Tell me, is it not true that you can bear with someone but not in love? We do it all the time. We call it putting up with someone, right? We put up with our teachers and with our bosses and with our parents and with our spouses. But truthfully, putting up with someone really is a selfish act. It's about you just maintaining the bare minimum in that relationship, keeping it at the distance that you're comfortable with, but knowing that in some way you're going to perhaps benefit from this relationship. It's certainly not done in love. Margaret Thatcher once said, I'm extraordinarily patient, provided I get my way in the end. <laughs> not how we are. We put up with things. That's really not patience. It's just putting up with. Please understand this. Our Lord didn't just put up with his disciples, right? Here's what John said. Even though his disciples were slow and selfish, you know, they never quite got it very well. Um, but here's what John wrote. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to be with the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Even as they refused to, to stay awake and to pray for him in his hour of greatest need, even when Peter denied him three times and then the rooster crowed. Praise God that Jesus didn't just put up with the disciples, but, but he was patient with them, bearing with them until, in love until the very end. It's, it's this type of love that has brought you and I into the kingdom. It's this type of love that, that goes to the cross. It's a perfect example of humility and gentleness. And yet, you know, strength under control. The cross screams to us patience and, and forbearance. And when we have a hard time bearing with another, we need to go to the cross ourselves to be reminded of our great need, to be, be humbled in the presence of, of a holy Savior who has gone to great lengths to bear with us in love under all circumstances. The third means is found in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Eagerness. <laughs> Uh, other translations say this, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit, or make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. You know, there are a lot of things that we are eager to do. I doubt for most people that, that maintaining the unity of the Spirit makes the top ten on their list of things they're eager to do, right? Where is it on your list? All right. Don't have to answer. That's a rhetorical question. All right. Unity and peacemaking is hard. It, doesn't, it isn't easy. And it doesn't come natural to us as human beings. We want to put up with people or avoid them altogether. 
but not us now, not that we are in Christ, not that we are his body, not that we are now, now indwelled with the Holy Spirit, not, that we, not, not now that we have received this calling to be who we are. This isn't who we're to be anymore. We, we, we are his body. We have been called to this hope. We must fight now, therefore, for this peace within the body. See, this unity that, we've, that we have, we didn't earn it. It was given to us. This is Christ's work that unites us. We are called to maintain it, though. Do you see that? Maintain this peace. And he says we must preserve it uh, through the bond of peace. Paul is saying that peacemaking is like glue in the body of Christ. He calls it the bond of peace. Christian, tell me, is it not true? Have you not had a, a relationship with somebody go sour? And, but, by God's grace, there is repentance and reconciliation. Tell me now, as a result of that peacemaking, are you not much more closer, much more tightly bound to that person than you were before? Peacemaking is glue that binds us together. It's what helps us to maintain this peace. So that's the unity. Now for maturity. We're, we're to promote maturity. You know, Paul just showed us in the first part that we are the body of Christ. We are the body, all right? Uh, but though we are the body, we still need to grow into maturity. Imagine a 45-year-old man who still eats mashed potatoes with his fingers and drinks his milk out of a bottle. Thankfully, we don't see too many of those people. Uh, and why is that? Because we have the gift of parents. You know, parents are the ones who help mature a child from infancy to, to being a child to, to teenage years and on. This is the gift of parents to their children. And in this second part, Paul is saying that God has gifted us uh, with many things for us to grow in the body of Christ. The first thing we see is he's given us a diversity of gifts. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul is making the point that every Christian has received a gift from Christ. He's not talking about salvation. We've received that. But he's talking about a different type of gift, a spiritual gift, gifts that you perhaps had somewhat as some sort of natural talent in your life, but now that you've come to Christ, the Holy Spirit working in you has gifted you in some unique ways. Paul talks about, in verse 8, he quotes from Psalm 68. Maybe that was a little confusing. We're not going to go into a whole lot of details there. He helps explain it in verses 9 and 10. Basically, he says, Jesus, who was in heaven, descended to earth. That's the incarnation. And then, after winning a victory on the cross, he returned, he ascended back up into heaven. Okay? And the picture here is just as a king in battle who won a victory would share the spoils with the people, so too Christ, in returning to heaven, has gifted each and every Christian with gifts from him. So the point Paul is making is that every Christian has been gifted with at least one gift from Christ, if not more. And the purpose for these gifts is what? So that we'd, we'd no longer be infantile, but would rather grow to maturity. Individually and as his body. What are these gifts? Well, 
various parts in the, in the Bible uh, give us different listings of these gifts. There's a bulletin insert that we gave you. It's a big, thick one. You know, I think our printer broke in the process of doing that. It was a lot, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, gifts such as evangelism and faith and administration and hospitality and giving. Bear in mind, each, uh, you, you're going to have one of these gifts, if not more. Now, it doesn't mean that you just chuck the other ones and say, well, I don't really need to worry about being merciful. I'm a great giver. You know, that's not the point. Um, you know, but if God has given you a gift of giving and you, you, you just you come ex- you become excited at, at giving to all kinds of wonderful causes, um, it doesn't mean you're not to be merciful, but you're to grow in mercy. But somebody else in the church body perhaps has maybe a better gift of mercy than you do. The purpose of that bulletin insert there is for you to to study this, to to come to understand how God has uniquely gifted you for the purpose of building up the body. For me, you guys want to know what my three primary gifts are? They don't? Okay, I'll move on then. No. Exhortation, evangelism, and drumroll, administration. In the military, they, you know, they have you wear badges of all the different things you've achieved. I, I don't think I'm going to wear those on my, on my shoulder there. But, but did you notice of the roughly 17 gifts, I've gotten like three primary gifts? What does that teach us? What does that tell us? Well, the only person who fulfilled all these gifts perfectly is Jesus. Right? And I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Definitely. But I've been given three gifts, and I flourish in those gifts. Not that I shouldn't work on the other ones, but this, these are my strengths. The, the challenge can be that ministers are expected to have every gift and flourish in all those gifts. And when that expectation is there, it, it causes problems in the body. I think that's why Paul wants us to study this, because the body needs to know that, that um, there's various gifts in the body. You know, if I were to try to be all of these gifts to you in equal proportion and excellent in all of them, I would fall flat on my face and I would be a failure. You would laugh at me, all right? And you need to know, if you expect all these gifts from me, I'm going to let you down. In some way, some area. Intellectually, you get this. Intellectually, you're like, yeah, Mark, that's great. I totally get it. Yep, all right. I'm not going to hold you accountable if you let, let me down in some area. But there's a time when I'm not there at, your, at the hospital when you're there. And you wonder, where's the pastor? Meanwhile, there's somebody else sitting there next to you from the church who has the gift of mercy and compassion. But the pastor's not there. <laughs> Perhaps I use my gift of administration. Perhaps in a staff meeting I said, which often happens, who's going to call on this person? Who's going to go visit so-and-so? Can we get somebody to do that? That's where my gifts flourish. I'm not saying that so you excuse that I'm excused from doing these things. I just want to, want to show you that this is the reality of being Christians. You, you, you have gifts. And, and I'm a, I'll be a failure as a pastor to expect you, if you have a gift of, of mercy, but, but not a gift of service, to, 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 to do a bunch of work behind the scenes cleaning up stuff. You might do it for a season or a day or two, but eventually you need to work in your area of giftedness. So let me challenge you with two things. When my giftedness causes you joy, 
rejoice. Thank God. Say, God, I thank you for gifting Pastor Mark this way. He blessed me this day with this. But times when my lack of gifting is exposed, I ask you not just to put up with me. I ask you to bear with me in love. All right, enough of me. How about you? (laughs) What gifts has God given you? Do you know what they are? You know, you will grow as an individual when you understand your gifts and you seek to use them in the body. You see, when you're using your God-given gifts, you flourish, you feel good, you, there is joy in your life. You know, there's, there's a lot of Christians who seem to have an emptiness about them. You know, I don't know exactly why it is, but perhaps it's because they don't know their gifts or they're not using their God-given gifts. And they're not finding that enjoyment and that satisfaction of coming alive in the gift that Jesus gave them. So I think we all need to investigate. What are my gifts? Am I using them for building up the body? Do I even know what they are? Some of you perhaps new to Christ, maybe new in the faith. You're like, this is all new to me. I don't even know. Am I failing? I don't know. Uh, No, you're new. You're young. You're a little child. Let us help you with this. And this isn't you coming to my office and saying, hey, I'm ready for that spiritual gifts inventory, Mark. Can we sit down right now? I'm fine with doing that. I will do that with you. But we can do that as a body. You guys can help each other understand your gifts. You know how I got into ministry? I was a new Christian in a church in St. Louis, and some girl in the singles ministry uh, who um, said, Hey, Mark, I think you ought to try youth ministry. I'm like, what the? What's youth ministry? I, I went and worked and volunteered with the junior high youth group. I fell in love with it. I ended up selling my business, quitting my job, going to work at church full-time in youth ministry. Then they sent me off to seminary where they filled my head full of a lot of stuff that I've already forgotten. And then I moved here. That's how it began because some girl took the time to say, you know what, Mark, I see, I see you're a little bit goofy. And you, uh, seem to get along, you seem to get along well with kids. We need some help in the youth ministry. All right? That's how this takes place. This is us doing it together. So I'm not saying don't come to my office and sit down with me, but you, know, you guys know each other. Help each other. Maybe get a group together. Let's work on our gifts together. All right, enough of that. Um, now we're on to another kind of gifts. Not just gifts to individuals, but God has gifted the church with leaders. We see this in, in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, remember from earlier, Paul had said that that the church's foundation is Christ, and it's the apostles and the prophets. So, today, I know some Christians disagree with this, but today there are no apostles in the church with a capital A or a capital P. The foundation has been laid. The apostles had to have known Jesus, spoke to him, got got a first-hand sending to build up the church. The church, the foundation is done. Uh, same with the, the prophets have given us God's word. We have it. Now, now a prophet with a, a small p is someone who takes God's word and helps apply it to your life. All right. So I'm not, I'm, I'm not in, a, in a apostle with a small a would be someone who starts maybe large church networks or international missions agencies, stuff like that. So, all right. So we can still use those terms, but just we need to understand not maybe in the same way. So, but we have been given leaders. They're still evangelists. They're still shepherd teachers. These are elders in the church. You should know we're, we're training up some elders to lead this church. And hopefully by, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll, we'll vote for them and we'll all applaud them. And 
and they'll come and they will serve as, as elders in this body. Right now, our elders are up island at other churches overseeing the work here. But um, shepherd teachers, I'm a shepherd teacher. Um, so God has given church leaders, uh, given leaders to the church. Why? Why? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. What's my job description, Grace Church? My job description is to see that your God-given abilities are put to use. To see that you are flourishing in the gifts that God has given you. That's my calling. And and if I do that well, if we do that well as a church, our church is going to thrive and prosper and mature. This past week, we had a food, faith, and fellowship, and Bob Cattell taught on spiritual gifts. And it's no coincidence, right? And... He challenged us as a church not to fall into the trap of being a professional church. This is where I give money to the church and we hire people and then they do the work, right? Okay, not that we're lazy or anything, but I, I would be failing and our church would be, would be really, really immature if the work of the leadership of the church wasn't focused on building you up and, and calling you to do the work of the ministry. I used to run a business, and so I would say, I need an accountant. So I'd go hire an accountant, plug that person into the job, or I need salespeople or warehouse workers, right? Church isn't like that. Here's what I believe. I've come to believe this. God brings people here. He brings people sovereignly to this church who have certain gifts. My job isn't necessarily to pigeonhole them into some bookkeeper role or something, all right? But my job is to welcome you and to encourage your gifts to, to, to blossom. And in doing that, the church prospers. God has gifted you with spiritual gifts and he's gifted you with leaders to equip you to use these gifts. What's the result? Verse 13. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice, this is, a, this is us maturing. It says, until we all attain the unity <clears throat> of the faith. And did you see the goal? What's the result? Nothing short of the full stature of Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. The, the maturity that we are being called to is the beautiful, holy perfection of Jesus. I don't know if that perhaps causes a little bit of fear or intimidation. Um, we need to know this, that we can never fully achieve what God is calling us to, to be until Christ returns, yet we are still to press on towards that goal. A story is told of an of accomplished artist who was applying the finishing touches to a bronze sculpture, and he kept filing and scraping and polishing over and over and over uh, the surface of his, of his masterpiece. And an observer came by and he said, uh, when will it be done? The artist answered, never. I just keep working and working until they come to get it. In many ways, that's the Christian life. We've experienced God has given us the full righteousness of Christ. That's the gift he's given us. And yet, this Christ-likeness that we are seeking to attain is something that we continue to um, move towards and to grow in until Christ returns for us. Paul speaks against... Immaturity. Look at verse 14. 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You know, being a child is fine and natural. We've all been children once. Some of us are still children. But, but if at age 18 you're still crying for a bottle, there's something pitifully wrong here, okay? And that's the, the spiritual immaturity looks the same way. A spiritually immature person gets tossed about by the circumstances in life. I don't know, God, how did this happen? Well, how did I get into I was I was being good. I did all the things you asked me to do. How, how could I lose my job? I, maybe, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you're not there, God. I mean, that's the, uh, an immature person uh, gets tossed around. Immature people are quickly carried away by false teaching. They're so quick to listen to, to the deceitfulness of the world. Uh, you know, say you're an immature Christian and someone comes up and, and they say to you, you know, how can you believe in a God who is eternal? You know, everything has a... Everything that, that exists has a cause. So what caused God? Who created God? To which the immature person goes, oh, I don't know. Help me. Oh, maybe there is no God. You know, um, that is, you know, Im- immature. I mean, that's kind of a silly way of looking at it. But, you know, someone who's immature gets tossed around. They, they're not rooted in a solid understanding of who God is and who they are in Christ. And so Paul is wanting the body of Christ to to move away from that towards maturity. And here's what I want us to see this morning, is that God has graced you with spiritual gifts so that you may mature. How does that work? Say you really are committed to seeing how God has gifted you, what kind of spiritual gifts you have, um, just, uh, and, and you're, you're going on this journey of, Heavenly Father, use me however you would like to use me. Tell me, does that not cause you to mature? You know, when, you, when you find yourself being stretched and tried in various circumstances as you serve the body, uh, tell me, does that not cause you to maybe get on your knees and pray more often, to draw nearer to Christ? That, that, does it not also, also cause you to be in a position where you need to learn to, to love like Christ with this forbearing love? You find yourself working with Sinners, right? Who upset you? And, and, and you need to really learn that, that patience, not just putting up, but bearing with another in love. This happens as you use your gifts in the body. Let me say it negatively. You will not mature unless you understand how you're gifted and begin using it and use it in the body of Christ. Remember, one of my gifts is exhortation. <laughs> But the result is good. Look at verse 15 and 16. Rather, speaking the truth in love. A lot of people have truth. And they put it on a spear. And they chuck it at people. Right? You're wrong. How dare you? Boom. Or they gossip. Or they backbite. This is speaking the truth in love. When our lives are marked by patience and bearing with one another, we speak truth in love to each other. And through this, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped when each part is working properly. He's saying here, I know on one level, Jesus Christ is the joint that is what holds us all together. But we also see here that spiritual gifts being used in the body are what hold the body together. 
And here's what happens. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful picture of the church. Christ giving us gifts, calling us to be one, to encourage us by the Holy Spirit to use these gifts, to place people, leaders in in the body of Christ, to encourage us to use these gifts so that we can become more mature and we can flourish and enjoy our Christian walk by using our gifts and so that we become more and more like Christ. We build ourselves up in love. You know, the American inventor and diplomat, Benjamin Franklin, played a key role in our independence here in America. He was the only person to sign all four documents that that related to our independence from, from England. And as he and the other signers of the Declaration of Independence gathered in 1776, Franklin joked, he said, we must all hang together or assuredly we will all hang separately. He used this humor to drive home a serious point that that without unity, without unity, they could not have any hope of defeating the mighty military of England. Paul has a similar message for us as a church. Unity uh, must and can, can and must be the hallmark of the church. You know, I don't know what your past church experiences are. Maybe you've been burned by another church. Maybe someone at this church has, has hurt you in some sort of way. Um, maybe you don't think all that highly of the church. You know, you need to know this. Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his bride. He gave his life for the church. And the church is the place in which he's called us to be, to experience his love. So I don't know what your past history is with the church, but I invite you to Belong to a church. It doesn't need to be Grace Church. Somewhere. Find a place where you can serve with one another, bear with one another in love. You know, let's just let Paul's words sink in this morning. He, God has given us an amazing calling. A calling that gives us hope. A calling that unites us into one people. That gives us one spirit. And we're called to, therefore, use our, our gifts to, to grow this body. This is a high calling. And it's a calling that is, is calls us to walk in a manner worthy of this hope we have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that, that you are over all, through all, in all. We thank you that your love for us is not an earthly love, but a heavenly love. A love that is patient and forbearing. Love that bears with us. We thank you, Jesus, that you loved us till the end and continue to love us. And there will be no end to that love. How blessed we are. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to see more fully our our calling to be one body. I pray that you would help us to understand our gifts that you've given us and that we would delight in them and not compare them with others, but take pleasure in how you've gifted us, that, that we would seek to build up your body through these gifts. And, and it's hard work, and we, we pray that, that as you head this church, that you would do this through your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.